Hey there, Greybeardians. Welcome back, and thanks again for listening to Cybersecurity Greybeard, the podcast for students, early professionals, and retrainees learn, grow, and advance in cybersecurity. This is a special episode, a recording from InfoSec Institute's Inspire Conference that was held on October 19th, 2021 in Washington, D.C., and then it was shifted to a virtual due to the COVID situation that we're all dealing with. I was still happy to be there, happy to present virtually. I spoke with Gerritsen Blight, a principal from Booz Allen Hamilton, and the session was led by Kate Rogers, the director of brand at InfoSec. It was a talk about human resources, learning and development, and how organizations can and should use learning and development for cybersecurity professionals. One of the key points that I make in the session is that I believe that this is a critical benefit that employees receive from employers. And if your boss, your employer, the company who you're with is not supporting your growth and evolution, you may want to consider looking for another opportunity. Enjoy this episode. Please reach out. Let me know your thoughts. I heard a really wonderful comment from somebody in New Zealand that I was very appreciative of. He said that the podcast really helps him. He's moving into vulnerability management and he wanted to know how he could train for it. Uh, He was excited to shift but nervous and he told me that after my responses he felt uh, quite a bit better. He was actually surprised at how much I wrote to him. I I took quite a bit of time. I'll do that for you as well. As I've said before, shoot me a note, cybergraybeard at gmail.com and I'm happy to answer your specific questions as well. Take care, enjoy, and we'll talk again soon. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining Working with HR and L&D to Attract, Retain, and Train Talent. My name is Kate Rogers. I'm the Director of Brand Marketing here at InfoSec. I'm excited to be here today and be your moderator for this session. We'll meet our guests in just a moment, but before we get started, I have a couple housekeeping items. You are uh, in listen-only mode. Um, That means you're muted, but please feel free to ask questions using the Q&A chat on the right-hand side of the screen. I have the pleasure today of being joined by Gerritsen Blight, Director of Dark Labs at Booz Allen Hamilton. Welcome, Gerritsen. And Eric Jeffrey, Senior Security Solutions Architect at IBM Security and podcast host of the Cybersecurity Graveyard. Welcome, Eric. Hi, thank you very much. Thanks. To get things started, let's have each of you quickly share your role within your organization and a 30,000-foot view of what training and development looks like for you or your team at your organization. Um, Garrettson, I'll start with you. Sure, thanks. Uh, so as Kate said, I'm Garrettson Blight, and I lead our uh, cyber defense operations capabilities, but also our, our dark labs uh, capability at Booz Allen Hamilton. So what that is, is that's our cyber research and development group. So as far as interacting with uh, L&D and HR, primarily that's around some very um, high-tech skilled staff within the cyber community, uh, threat hunters, embedded reverse engineers, penetration testers. Um, they're very in-demand staff, and so we have a very unique uh, communication conversation always going with L&D and HR and how to best retain and then train those staff. Um, look forward to elaborating on that a little bit more, Kate. Great. Thanks, Gerritsen. And Eric? Hi there. Uh, as Kate said, I'm Eric Jeffrey. I'm a senior solutions architect at IBM. I deal with the industrial market. However, I go across platforms. I also do mentorship and guidance at IBM, and as a matter of fact, today I'm actually helping to teach an architectural thinking for security class to help the folks uh, in my organization uh, learn, grow, and advance. 
there. What also, what else I also do has to deal with um, overall mentorship and guidance and giving back. One of the nice things at IBM is the ability to give back to the community through um, speeches, sitting in, helping early professionals, mentoring and guiding, getting matched up with other folks. And uh, IBM supports a lot of that through the L&D and the HR. So there's a lot of give back, I think, is the best way to put it. Fantastic. I'm really excited to talk to you both a little bit more about that. Um, Garrettson, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. Um, currently, how does your team work with HR and L&D when it comes to training and career pathing? So uh, before I get into the details of that, at, at Booz Allen Hamilton, we have an alignment to uh, job families, which kind of describe what is their functional role. And then from those job families, um, you get categorized in those once you join the firm or once you get a new skill and you decide that's the career path you want to be on. From there, then we link you up with project teams, which could be for any particular clients. It could be an in geography, right? So you kind of have two alignments. But where we fall out is um, we lead the operating model for uh, our, our cyber research and development. And so we may take a lot of different folks from different walks of life. They could be data scientists or some of the other skill sets that I've already mentioned. And um, so the way that we work with L&D um, is really to give them, one, best practices insight around foundational skills. Um, so right now, from our technical excellence program, we've got an onboarding program that lasts anywhere from five to eight weeks for those that don't necessarily have a cyber background. That's foundational, so people can walk into their job family and make sure that they can deliver well on day one. But then for some of the more sophisticated skill sets, we've got more advanced training, and a lot of that takes uh, hands-on skills. Um, and so we've got a lot of other portals inside lab environments and, and things that are enabled by our L&D team uh, to make sure that there's that continuous learning for those skills. That is really comprehensive and it sounds like quite quite a program. Um, how have you been involved in kind of setting that up, Gerritsen? So on, on some of it, we... Um, we really looked at what are the types of skill sets that we need to evolve for those highly technical staff. Um, really, when you think about you know the uh, the great resignation that's going on now, I mean it's it's more critical than ever that you've got you know the the key uh, investments in the staff to retain them and make sure that they feel you know intellectually challenged. So what we've done is we've had this going for many years now, um, a self improvement course called Kaizen. It's something that we have available to all staff in what we call a dojo, uh, very, very Japanese-themed. And uh, people can go in there, and it's a collection of Capture the Flag events where um, you can try out new skills in some of those advanced cyber concepts from uh, binary um, analysis to network analysis and, and uh, a variety of other things. And we'll go into all of them here. But um, that's something where anybody can be hands-on, and it doesn't matter what job family you align to. So you could be in a completely different walk of life doing architecture and engineering and not operations, or you could just be in a uh, strategy and organization and want to kind of evolve your technical skill sets out of the general management consulting skills that you have today. And you can go in there and you can uh, try your hand in some of those skill sets. But they start at the foundational and then gradually um, give you hints to improve your skills as you, as you go on. So we developed that about 10 years ago and we continue to evolve it. Um, every once in a while, we bring it to clients, too, because they, they see the value of some of the staff that we can provide them in those areas. Awesome. Fantastic. And Eric, from your perspective, how does your team work with HR and L&D um, when it comes to training and career pathing? What's that look like at IBM Security? 
Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, actually, between IBM and Booz Allen. I like what Gerritsen was saying there a moment ago about it doesn't really matter what your background is or where you're coming from. You have the opportunity to move forward. At IBM, we have a very detailed learning environment and platform. It's called Think40. It's your learning. And the idea behind it is everybody is encouraged to have at least 40 hours a year of training. And they can guide their own training. We can pick what we want. And literally, if you're in finance, but you want to take a cybersecurity class, go take a cybersecurity class. Um, I'm an individual contributor. I don't directly deal with HR or L&D, but as a consumer of it and as an advocate for it, I'm guiding my peers and my mentees uh, and the early professionals that I mentioned into the Think40 platform, into your learning and finding areas to help them grow. And I had one uh, young professional reach out to me yesterday who is dealing with uh, Java development, and he said, Eric, I want to get into uh, forensics and um, penetration testing. How do I do that? And I'm like, well, let's go into Think40 and let's take a look. And here are the classes, and here's the CEH certification, and this is the path to go ahead and get that, or the OSCP, the Offensive Security Certified Professional, and dive into the wealth of skills and trainings and books and there it's just almost unlimited out there it's overwhelming if anything it's of the point where and and, and this gentleman actually said to me later he goes there's just so much my head's exploding what do I do how do I focus and I said well let's talk about what you want to do what you like to do what's your dream job and then we narrow it down but the the wealth of data that's provided and the wealth of opportunity that's provided through HR for our learning and development at IBM is really just massive yeah. yeah, and Kate, if I could build up something that Eric said, too. So I think it's really important that when some of our staff are overwhelmed by the options, especially those that are just getting into a career area or they've been in, in our perspective, like client site for a long time, delivering and doing the work, they don't necessarily think about how can they advance themselves every day. Um, we have cohort classes for certain uh, specific mm-hmm. uh, certifications. So, for instance, Eric mentioned the OSCP that's one that has, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's about 40% attrition rate or something along those lines. Like it, it's very stringent. It's very difficult. And through our cohort program, we've been able to raise that between the 70 and 90%, depending on the cohort, because they meet for months at a time. And um, we've got uh, different events that we hold internally to make sure that they've got the practical hands-on knowledge. But making sure that you've got not just the, um, the outlet for people to help mentor you, but you could do it kind of as that, that group mentality where you can kind of motivate each other to still get better. Uh-huh. We found that that's pretty successful as well. Yeah, Garrett, it's the same thing. Right now at IBM, cloud security is so important that they came out with a, a top 75 cloud architects and they selected 75 individuals and broke us into pods globally. And there were four or five, six people per pod. And then what test are you going for? Okay, your AWS go over here, your Google Cloud, your IBM Cloud, whatever it was. And then let's meet every couple of weeks. Where are you struggling? Are you in the lab? Did you have trouble logging in? Have you tried this lab? And then the pods work together. It's a, a much better way to do it. It's a very social way. And another thing that IBM does, it's certainly through the summer, I personally kind of extend it out for a full year. And that is that there's a rule that there's no meetings after, I think it's 1 p.m. on Fridays, which gives everybody Friday afternoons to do what you need. Some will catch up on email. Some will just do paperwork. Others, like me, will just go study. And whether it's grabbing a book or whether it's getting back online with your learning, going through. And if you look at it from one to five every Friday, that's four hours a week. That's 200 hours a year for 50 weeks where you can just study 
and get ready for tests and certifications. Uh, badges, which are new, that's another thing that IBM is really uh, big on. And there's metrics and it tracks. I think people from the game theory want to see how they're doing. And you get extra badges if you do, um, I think it's 100 hour, 120 hours plus one badge, you're a bronze learner, 160 and four badges, you're a silver. And if you really want to go for gold, it's 200 hours and eight badges. So it's incentivizing. It's not just providing it and then giving you the pods and the ability to work with others. You're really able to get in there and and grow and compete against yourself year after year if you want. Yeah, the gamification is is pretty critical. Um, you know, there's one other thing I think we both kind of talked around but didn't explicitly state. So for the benefit of anybody watching, I, I think, you know, it's not just about the HR and L&D, but it's also about your IT services and your uh, and whoever your corporate group is, right? At Booz Allen, we call them the uh, enterprise services group. So when we're talking about all these lab environments and the ability to be able to go hands-on in some of these ways, it really does require a lot of infrastructure support, um, and that's not something that, that always comes from L&D. And so I think making sure that you coordinate across the, um, the ESG, as we call them, or the IT resources, L&D, the uh, lines of business, as well as HR, depending on uh, you know, what kind of talent you need, that kind of, it's not just the trifecta, um, but that kind of group um, is really critical to move anything forward. So uh, anyway, just don't forget about IT and the, and the ESG equivalent. Yeah, I think you make a really interesting point there, Gerritsen, and this is something that um, both of you have, you know, mentioned to me during our many discussions is that it's really a lot of ownership is on the security leaders and the team leaders, right, to help make these connections and really use L&D and HR as a resource. Um, anything on, on that, right, any best practices that you found work really well when you're trying to collaborate with these internal partners or um, teammates that you, you know, you're referring to, Gerritsen? Yeah, I think I think the um, the routine communication is pretty critical, right? So that you know each other, um, so that it doesn't just seem like it's a request out of the blue, or you know somebody in a different part of the organization who's out of your your chain of command, if you will, your administrative structure is trying to demand something of you. Um, and at the end of the day, like the the essential nature of the enabling functions that occur through things like IT services. Um, are going to hinder your business if you can't make sure that they're successful. And so I think just treating everybody as equal partners across the organization has been very helpful. Um, we have routine working sessions when we're trying to evolve uh, a new training program or we're just trying to think about how else can we evolve what we're doing today. Um, we just set those up and, and really have a core Tiger team that goes after it and just kind of usher it through until we, uh, we get on the flip side and we do the pilot and we see how everybody does. Awesome. And Eric, any, you know, any best practices or anything that you found really work well as, you know, either an individual contributor as a, as a previous um, team leader um, when it comes, you know, to, to collaborating to make sure that your team and, and future talent is getting the, the training and career pathing that they need? Yeah, it's a great point. You talk about my previous life. I used to manage a group of engineers and project managers, um, upwards of 25. And it's really about the individual taking ownership for their career and their manager supporting that. Where I'm at at IBM, I have a phenomenal manager that supports it. Hey, you want to take those Friday afternoons to study? Great. You're taking a cert. Great. You pass. We'll repay it. And he goes and does what he has to do. What I say is that the management needs to just get out of the way and let the employees succeed. 
and blocking and tackling, getting the, the, the stuff out of the way is what leadership has to do. It's what I did in the past where in the olden days I would go fight for the budget and I want X dollars per employee every six months or every year. And that needs to be considered. And what I'd say in my podcast and what I say to anybody, when you're looking for a job or when you're in your job, this is a part of your benefits. Education is a benefit to the employee. And if your employer is not willing to provide what you need it may be time to start making considerations for either going somewhere else or getting an additional raise, and then you go get it on your own. But with, I love how Gerritsen is talking about the great resignation. If you're not familiar with it, go Google it. But basically, uh, we're seeing more people resigning from their positions than has ever been seen before. And that's in line also with not having enough employees to fill roles. So right now, it is the employee's heaven. You can go, you can get more training, more education, more money, whatever, and just consider that it's your career, it is your path, you need to be the guide, and your leadership, your management needs to help you go down that path. Absolutely, and uh, Eric, you kind of read my mind, and perfect segue into our next question is that, you know, how does this look, you know, working with HR, L&D, career pathing, and really developing your talent um, when it comes to attracting talent and filling those roles? Yeah, it's a two-sided coin. The employee needs to ask about it in their interviews, and they need to ask about it when they're employed. And the hiring manager, they need to talk about that in the interview. Hey, not only are we going to give you health care, and we're going to give you date time off, and we're going to give you sick time, we're going to pay for this amount of education, or we're going to give you access to these programs. Again, at IBM, we have your learning. There are thousands of courses in hundreds of topics. That needs to be discussed because you need to attract the Uh, talent. Otherwise, your competition is going to attract the talent. And so understand that education into some ways is more important than healthcare. When you're dealing with 25, 30-year-olds that don't have the needs of the healthcare because they're younger and stronger, they have the need for the education because they want to catch up to people that are ahead of them. If you get people coming from the military and they're retraining, you need to give them access to that academia. And it needs to be shown in the whole benefits package and in the verbal interviews uh, when you're talking about it. It's at the forefront of the conversation. I love that. What do you? What is your take on this, Garrison? So I, I agree. I, I hands down agree with Eric. I think that he touched on some really important tangible benefits of, of uh, recruitment. Uh, you know, some of the things that I've had to deal with in the past because. A lot of the companies now, they've got the, as Eric said, like the 40 hours. Um, they don't all have the benefits of like the early days, as he talked about, uh, you know, like on Fridays and that sort of thing. Um, but everybody's competing and trying out new models. And I think it's really important that all of us in the corporate industry kind of try out new models and see what sticks. For us, um, you know, Dark Labs is our, is our organizational unit. We uh, created that about six years ago. And it was because we had another um a similar problem that we have today, right, with that, that great resignation. So at the time, people had been in the intelligence community spaces since 9-11, um, and it had really been about 15 years. And so some of the people who were doing the most advanced cyber missions um, in our country uh, who were working for Booz Allen, they were getting frustrated, right? I mean, they were about uh, halfway through their career, and they were in the skiff most of the time, couldn't use a cell phone, and obviously it was becoming much more ubiquitous, as with social media and everything else, right? And there's a lot of startups going on, and so they, they were getting itchy, and they wanted to do something different. And what we came up with was this operating model for Dark Labs to be able to uh, create new innovative technology still within the confines of the Fortune 500 business. And it's worked out extraordinarily well, um, where we've stood up new lines of business, you know, and, and um, new solutions for clients and, and what have you. 
And really what I think that that, that aligned to on their, their motivations was that they could still contribute to a mission that mattered, but still meet the rest of their intentions, right? And so what I think we're seeing is that those people, at least from my perspective, they still wanted to support national security. They wanted to do it in a different way for different clients. So we got them to contribute more rapidly to commercial clients as well as to federal, um, but not necessarily locked down inside of a SCIF. When we think about the future of our workforce, at least for the federal government too, is that we've got to be able to appeal to what are the needs of the staff? Because Eric's right, they do have a lot of other options in other places. So can we support remote delivery? Can we support um, that access via social media um, or other things that can contribute to their job in kind of asymmetric ways or at least their value proposition to their job. Um, and again, if you can't meet the intentions and those motivations of the people, they're going to move on. And then it, it, it's a lot more costly to invest in somebody new than to retain somebody that's, that's already very uh, quality and contributor and, and they're a performer. Um, and so we've got to try to avoid those challenges through our L&D programs, our HR programs, and our overall benefits. You know, Garrettson, you're talking about a SCIF, and I, I love it because I did DOD work before, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know I used to live in Northern Virginia, so the Booz Allen and all the DOD guys coming out and going there, I, I absolutely get the, uh, the reference. What it reminds me of is something that we had talked about, and I think you brought it up actually when we had one of our introductory calls, was building a lab. And, and training has changed a lot. Back in the day, literally 15 years ago when I did this for a previous company, I would need about $2,500 per person for each class. And they would be able to get their hands on. Well, now with how easy it is to stand up an environment in AWS or with IBM Cloud or with Azure or Google Cloud, whatever it is, organizations need to consider the fact that they should budget for environments so people can stand it up and play with it. And that was something that I did with, uh, with IBM last year. Me and a couple of other folks stood up a lab environment that we could turn into a demo environment. And then we were actually able to monetize a mechanism that we use for training. So we purchased some space, both in Azure and AWS. I was focused in AWS. We stood up these environments. And then when the salespeople came and said, hey, I'm doing a demo of QRadar. Can you show us something? And literally from my workstation here and over here, I was able to, and I, I told Kate the story before, she got a kick out of it. I was able to connect to a VPN in South Korea and then go in and do a simulated SSL attack a brute force SSL attack on our lab environment in AWS and everybody could see the IP coming through. And I said, you see that Korean attack? They said, yeah. I said, that's my workstation here in Colorado. And that is a huge benefit because the people that I was working with and training at IBM were like, wow, how did you do that? Well, I have my own little lab here, but then we built the lab through AWS and we were able to attack it that way. And it's a big benefit and it's really cheap because you're only paying for the compute, the storage and the network that you're using. And when you're done, you turn it off, there's no more money. Whereas in the old days, flat 2500 bucks, go to Learning Tree, take a class, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't, or stand up a lab and go play with it and practice as much as you want. That's something else that uh, HR and L&D need to consider. Yeah, awesome. And I mean, Garrettson, anything on that? I know that you guys are big proponents of cyber ranges. Uh, yeah, no, just um, I, I agree with all that. I mean, frankly, I think the hardest problem is um, along those lines, trying to estimate the budgets for the following year, right? So mm -hmm. if you've got that flexibility in standing up lab environments, 
um, uh, one, who pays for it? Is it L&D? Is it the line of business that needs it, right? How do you do cost sharing to some degree? Or do you pass some of it along um, from any kind of proceeds you make from selling something through the business back to L&D? Um, and a lot of that depends on the accounting structure of the individual company that you're working for. But um, requesting that is is kind of a, a challenge, right? To make sure you budget for it appropriately every year. But I mean, you're absolutely right, Eric, that like at the end of the day, it costs less than it used to. So I think when we're trying to think of um, how do we optimize some of the investments in some of those areas, we, we should probably talk about that a little bit. I don't know if I'm taking a question from you, Kate, but you know, when we're thinking about uh, leading indicators and lagging indicators, uh, just you know, when we're talking about the efficacy of our training program, and I'm thinking about um, how do I how do I value it, right? Because the lagging indicators are, are what is valuable today to your business, right? So it's how many certs of this type do I have? How many degrees do I have, right? How many people are coming through this last course that I just held? But I, I, I think for, for everybody listening, I'd probably try to challenge them to get into the leading indicators as well about how do you forecast the future part of the business? And at least at Booz Allen, we've got that really good relationship with our L&D. And so we can sit down and say, this is where I see the business going. And so this is where I see our, hire, our hires needing to be. Therefore, we're going to need future uh, L&D programs in these new technologies, right? So um, we started this years ago with data science um, before it was a big thing. We had to upskill a lot of our operations research folks for any mathematicians on the line, right? And, and say, hey, look, we've got to get beyond that and start getting into the artificial intelligence, machine learning, and like upskill into those algorithms and, and make sure that you have the right skill sets for the needs of tomorrow. And so we held a data science 5K, as we called it. So it was just kind of a kitchen name to a program where we could train a lot of people across the firm with challenges. And we partnered with uh, Kaggle competitions with um, just, again, larger industry data challenges where we would encourage our people to participate in them um, and possibly get some kind of uh, rewards out of that. And so by by teeing that up for the future technologies, um, it's really helpful. Now we're, you know, obviously zero trust is almost becoming a, a lagging indicator. Um, but, you know, some of the, the future-leaning things about um, XDR, which has not necessarily filled its, its end state yet, uh, 5G, we're investing heavily in that right now, right? And there's just a lot of these other technologies that if you look at um, industry, industry trends, top 10 reports, uh, CAGRs, you know, compounded uh, annual growth of, of certain uh, technologies, those sorts of things you can look at to try to make sure that your training program is aligned to where the business is going. Um, but anyway, that's that's something that we've worked well with with our lines of business in L&D. Yeah, I, I think that really goes right into where I wanted to kind of take this next. And I, I think reskilling has a huge part of taking on this challenge of the cyber skills gap, right? If people believe that exists or not, Either way, we know that we have these open roles, we have these emerging fields that we need to start getting people ready for. Um, how does your relationship with your internal partners, you know, help or hinder um, your, your skills gap at your organization, right? And if, it, if it's the latter, how did you overcome that, right? How'd you get that buy-in internally to, to turn that around and, and get the, the resources, the time and the talent that you need? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one. There was a time, I think it was probably 12 or 18 months ago, where HR, L&D, they came to me and said, we have people in other business units at IBM that are, we need to transition. We need to move them from that business and get them into security. And there's a shortage of security people. So it was good synergy. And they said, Eric, go through and look at all of these courses and put together a profile 
for somebody that's going to be a SOC analyst, put together a profile for somebody that's going to be an architect or an admin or an engineer. And then I went through and looked at the courses. And as Garrison was talking about what they've done on the leading indicators and the lagging, I'm just smirking going, I don't know what IBM is doing with it, but they're doing a great job because I've never gone to look, and they're not paying me to say this, honest. I've never gone in to look for something and not found it in Think40 or in the Your Learning. Uh, it, it's there, and then they come to folks like me, and they said, Eric, you're an architect. How would somebody skill up? What do they need to do? What classes do they have to take? What certification should they have? And then I put that together. So HR and L&D in that case didn't sit there and say, oh, well, we know all because we're human resources. They said, let's go to the experts and have them tell us what we should do and what path they should follow. And likewise, from the badging perspective, there are charts and paths, and you do this one, and then you do this one, and then that one. And then they start to overlay. Like to be an architect, we have to take project management courses. I had a 16-hour, two-day class just in project management. There were numerous consulting classes that I had to take, or you can test out of it because you know I do consulting for a living. I could test out, or I take in other classes. And there's roadmaps that's all put together. And then the last piece of it, a very complicated roadmap that I have followed now for three years for my architect certification, where there are many badges and projects that you have to work on and courses that you have to take. And not only that, they say we want you to have industry expertise. So pick an industry, whether it's healthcare or FinServe, and go take courses on this and then get badges on that. And then when you stack up enough badges, then you get at this certification. And I didn't have to create the roadmap for me it was already done. But for people coming over, they asked me to help with that. And because of what I had done, I was able to help the other. So it's a very nice team effort to put it all together. Yeah, it's, it's uh, somewhat similar. It sounds really robust, Eric. I mean, it's, it's somewhat similar at Booz Allen, but from the perspective of that, um, annually we do a review of those job families that I mentioned before to make sure that they're still relevant, right? And if we have to make any obsolete or merge any or create new ones, like on an annual basis, that's kind of where we keep that up to speed. And that's a, a combined working group with HR, L&D, you know, the lines of business and that sort of thing. Um, but when we're looking at, at standing up new training, I, I don't think it really gets contentious. Um, but usually it's driven by a more immediate need for a contractor or uh, like when solar winds happen, for instance. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the hack, but it, it affected a lot of industry, if not um, all of industry, as well as the federal government. And so what we found then was that um, pretty much every company who offered threat hunting services was tapped out. Um, you know, we people would come to us, we'd go to them, and, and basically everybody was just tapped out. And so we said, look, we've really got to upskill more people quicker. We had technology to enable us to do that, but how do we respond quicker? And again, formed a Tiger team and made sure we have representation from HR and L&D and said, well, is it a hiring problem? No, it's more of a training problem because um, if if you can hire them, I mean, everybody's tapped out, so you can't just do that. But from a training perspective, we're able to rapidly stand up a, a training program. And then um, to date, it was probably within two months, we got um, up to 100 people in it. That was kind of the audacious challenge we, we threw out there. Um, and again, it was just a demand signal that a lot of folks from uh, other integration, engineering, and operations walks of life wanted to take part in that new forward-leaning uh, operational skill. And so we worked with L&D to create what that program looked like, um, some of our vendor partners as well, and then stood it up and we started certifying people. So I don't think it was ever contentious just because we have a good working routine relationship. Um, but then in addition to that, uh, we do have other formalized job family like learning paths and things, as, as Eric mentioned. Um, so now something like this is going to formally contribute to our threat hunter program as well. So they come from sometimes methodical and sometimes necessity um, approaches. One thing that I would add, and it kind of touches on what we discussed earlier, because there is a 
lack of people. And Garrison's point, we didn't hire, we already had the employees, we just needed to train them. Businesses have to understand that they need to be agile and they have to support their staff with the time, the money, and the tools so they can, so we can deliver what is necessary. Everybody talks about staff augmentation and outsourcing, but we're really at a point where IBM, we may be tapped out and we have to go to what we call a sub K, another contractor to bring them in. And then they're like, well, we don't have anybody either. We got to go out to booze or we got to go to SAIC or find somebody somewhere. And to help where we are, we need the early professionals. We need uh, community colleges to step up. We need high schools to step up and we need to start finding more able-bodied people that want to come in. And then it's incumbent upon all of us, me and Garrettson and Kate and everybody, to help people retrain and join in the cybersecurity profession. It's lucrative, it's fun, it's exciting, and it's very diverse. The last thing that I'll say and turn it back over to you, Kate, people don't need to be technical to be in cybersecurity. We need project managers, we need sellers, we need business analysts. You don't need to know Linux and how to break into a computer to do cybersecurity. So if you're here and you're listening and you wanna get into cyber, get into cyber, listen to my podcast, shoot me an email. It is not a heavy lift to get into cybersecurity. And I don't care if you're 18 or 68, it is doable to get in. And hopefully what Garrett and I have talked about have given some ideas and excitement to get people into it. Yeah, absolutely. And as someone who is newer um, to the cybersecurity industry and a scientist by trade, I mean, I cannot say enough good things and then say that it is totally possible. Um, and I, that's coming from the perspective that I'm certainly not hacking into anyone's computer anytime uh, too soon. So um, with that, I do have one last question for each of you. Um, Eric, I'll let you answer first. You know, what's the one piece of advice or one thing that you know now that you wish you would have known um, at the start of your career, you know, that maybe you'd want to share with people before we leave today? Ah, geez, I've made so many mistakes in my life. What's the one thing I would do differently? I, I don't even know if this is how I answered it the first time, but I'll, I'll just say it this way. Um, do unto others as they would have done unto themselves. When people say do unto others as you would have done unto yourself, I like things differently. I learn in a different way. So when you're teaching somebody, when you're working with somebody, find out what's best for them. Find out what they want. And when you want something, let the person who's helping you know what you want and how you want it. If you learn through audio, do podcasts. If you learn through visual, go do YouTube. If you want to get your hands on, sign up for a real cheap Amazon Web Services and learn that way. But don't try and force your way on others and don't expect others to know what you want if you don't tell them. Garrison? Yeah, I think, I think um, there's, you know, I think, Kate, I told you there's never one thing, right? There's, um, there's kind of three things that I, I'd recommend. One of them is communication. I think that whether you're coming from a line of business and you're trying to communicate with your staff about their training, or if you're a staff member trying to communicate what you need from a training perspective, or your L&D trying to communicate, hey, how can I make this more valuable to the, to the firm or to the company? Um, communication is pretty key um, because if you don't say something that nobody knows what your needs are, Right. The culture is really essential, especially in the high tech field. Some of the things that we mentioned about um, the value proposition associated with uh, financial value or having time off to study or, or things like that, those aren't always going to be it. Sometimes it's that social connection. You know, it's the, the bringing donuts in whenever you can be in person again, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I think I mentioned last time we talked, we had a hacker house that we had every year that, uh, you know, we got people together with pizza and monster drinks and just to go ahead and participate in a capture the flag exercise just for fun. Um, it's that kind of culture that you've got to foster and that's going to be different everywhere you go, right? That's going to create that affinity. And then, um, 
the last thing is consistency, right? I, I just think that I've seen a lot of people over the years that uh, are inconsistent with their expectations. And that's really hard for your staff if uh, you're not consistent. And so just trying to drive that through um, to make sure that they know that you're there for them and you're consistently beating that drum. Fantastic. Great advice for anyone really in any industry, um, not just cyber. So thank you um, both Garrettson and Eric for your time and your insights today. Um, thank you for everyone who joined us. I hope you all found the information useful. With that, that's going to conclude our session today. Um, I hope you enjoy all the rest of the sessions at InfoSec Inspire, and we will see you there. Thank you. Thanks, Kate. Bye-bye, Garrettson.